the worship guide has been um, has included things that have been intentional. I, it seems like I say this every time I preach. But there are passages of Scripture here that not only relate to the text that we're being looking at in the book of Romans today, but these are texts that we need to remember that regardless of how cynical I may be or regardless of how fearful the world may be, our God is much bigger than this. Amen. That's why we're here. Yes. And to think about our brothers and sisters who are in China in secret churches in a land where this virus originated. They're in church today. Wondering whether or not the leader will be arrested because of their illegal actions. Their brothers and sisters around the world who are in church today, not knowing whether their family will reject them or whether their church will be blown up before they leave. It's good to see you here today. And I trust that our dependence upon a God that is beyond our understanding who possesses a wisdom that goes way beyond anything that we can conceive is glorified. As we look in Romans, we'll go back to chapter 10. We'll begin in verse 17. But what I'd like for us to do is consider the end of the passage of Scripture that I'm going to be looking at. It's obviously not the last verse of, of the book of Romans. But you may be in the company of people like I am who, from time to time when they come and begin a conversation with you, they really don't intend to have a conversation with you. They just want to tell you what's on their mind. Uh, I guess I can be guilty of that from time to time myself, but who's pointing fingers, right, Pastor? Uh, and they begin to talk, and well, I have, an, I have a particular agent in mind that you don't know, uh, but as I describe this particular person, perhaps it will be similar to someone you do know. But this agent will come and begin to talk to me, and I feel like, well, as their manager, I want to actively listen as I've been taught to do, uh, and sort of maybe repeat what they've said to let them know that I've heard them, and maybe even interact something that I think that is relevant to what they're saying, and perhaps maybe make them feel encouraged that I'm actually participating in their life. It's hard for me to do. That's not natural. But this particular agent, when I do this, oftentimes will just keep on talking about what he was talking about, not even make reference to what I was saying, and how dare he? I'm sorry, I just let it out. It's a male agent of mine, so in case he's listening to this message, I'm, thankfully I've got more than one male agent on my team. But my point is, there's something so important to him that he talks to me about that he really doesn't need my commentary, as helpful as it may be. As informative as it may be, and as direct as it may be, he doesn't need, he just wants to say something to me. And some, from time to time, I might get, well, come on, at least I'm trying to acknowledge your life here. I'm trying to at least act like I know a little bit more about you than what you're telling me. 
And I may be offended by that. I might feel like that he's missing an opportunity here. And sometimes I think that we, this you're going to say, man, Pastor, where do you ever get this stretch? Sometimes we feel the same way about God. God will tell us about who he is and we'll talk about his wisdom. We'll talk about his power. And oftentimes we'll say, well, yeah, God, sure, you're great when you, you created stuff. Well, yeah, God, you were wise and that you didn't let this happen to certain people. And God just keeps talking about, just listen. When I talk to you about my power, when I talk to you about my wisdom, when I talk to you about my sovereignty, more than anything else, I want you to know that that is in relation to something very specific. And it's not just some, now again, I'm not denying the fact that God is powerful and sovereign over everything. I'm not saying that God is not intrinsically involved in everything in which he has designed and created. And that there hasn't been one act in history of history that he has not been sovereign and active within. But let's make no mistake about it. When God is wanting us to know just who he is, he's doing it in regard to one very specific area. And that is in the salvation of his people. You say, well, preacher, how do you know that? Well, <laughs> I've got the book of Romans to help me. And we're going to hopefully find that so that whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. So we might understand that as huge of a problem as it is for the hundreds of people who have died from the coronavirus. Or the 12,000 Americans who died from the swine flu less than 10 years ago. Or the countless number of people who were infected with Agent Orange over the past decades. Or the people who died over the, the plague of the Middle Ages. There is one incredibly, infinitely more problematic symptom that we've got. It's the fact that every single one of us is carrying sin to the point where we stand and rest under the wrath of God barring salvation. As much as I would love to share my opinions about what happens, whether it be in the political realm, the economic realm, the social, cultural realm, that there's no greater issue. There's a follower of Jesus Christ that I should be active in. That is the salvation of sinners before Christ comes back. That was Paul's deep desire that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit he sheds so much light on the truthfulness of God and the truthfulness of sin and the glorious truthfulness of God's grace that saves. So that when we go to verse 33 all oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of Christ or the Lord? Who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. 
To Him be glory forever. And the people of God said, Amen. See, the context in which Paul shares this very glorious truth is after talking about some very boring, head-scratching questions. Why do you keep bringing up these Jewish people? Why do you keep asking, have they been saved? Has God forsaken them? Why do you keep doing this? It's because God is all-wise. God is all-powerful. God is all-good. And everything is from Him and through Him and to Him. That's why. So as we go back to the passage of Scripture, chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. Again, this verse, we talk about faith. Faith, 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 faith. Paul is speaking in regards to faith in its most valuable sense in terms of salvation. Faith that saves comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So again, as we've already kind of dealt with a few weeks ago, Paul asked a question in response to this truth. Have they, speaking of the Jewish people, have they not heard? Indeed they have. Paul says their voice, and Paul is speaking about the prophets that God called from his people Israel, has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. This leads to a second part of this question. Did they not understand it? If they heard it, did they not understand it? In which he goes back to all the way to Moses and says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Isaiah is bold as to say, I have found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The prophet spoke. The message revealed God's plan. The plan that wouldn't make sense to a people who felt that they were called out among all the nations as special people. Why would God go through all the trouble of calling this man Abram out of his father's house and change his name to Abraham? Making promises. Did he have a land? Did he have a people? That, uh, that there would be someone uh, that would be from his lineage that would be a blessing to all the nations? And then of all things actually fulfill that promise and saying, okay, here's the other nations. And I'm going to save them. And this made the, the, the Jews mad. This made the Israelites very jealous. And God used their stupor, if you will, their arrogance, their insistence that simply because they were biologically descended from Abraham. He used that to judge them so that they couldn't understand what they were hearing. So when he told Isaiah that I'm sending you to a people who are basically just going to look at you and turn away and not listen to anything that you're saying to them, much less believe it. And Paul 
up to this point has been preaching that you know it's not because of their works, it's by faith that you're saved. So that perhaps the audience has gotten to the point where they're like, well, I guess God's just given up on them because they've heard, they didn't understand because of their own sinfulness. That leads to the question of chapter 11, verse 1. Paul says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? Now, we have to be careful because this is the, this is the crux of many theological debates, even that go on today. What does he mean? What, what, what's the point he's trying to make? Why does Paul keep bringing them up? Well, hopefully we can answer that question, but the question stands there. Has God rejected them then? Since they heard the prophets, the prophets, their words have gone throughout all the world. They didn't understand it. Does that mean God has rejected them? Paul says, by no means. And he uses himself as an example. He says, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people from whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Now again, what was Israel like in Elijah's day? It wasn't that far back in our Christian growth group that we were looking at this at one of our lessons. Uh, through King Ahab and his wife Jezebel, this was an idolatrous nation. People in those days would not have looked at Israel and said, oh, now there's a people that believe in a true God. And Elijah, the prophet, ministering during this time, would have been able to say, well, all of Israel's not going to apostate. All of Israel hasn't forsaken God because I'm still here. But Elijah, in his pity, his self-pity, didn't even see that as a blessing. And he goes on. In verse 3, Paul reminds us, Lord, Elijah says, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, altars, and I alone am left, and then they're even seeking my life. But what God's reply to him, what was God's reply to him? He says, I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. People that Elijah wasn't even aware of. So Paul uses this as an example when he's asking the question in this argument through the book of Romans, has God rejected Israel? Well, no, because I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. But just like Elijah wasn't the only one left in his day, I'm not the only one left in my day. There are other Israelites. There are other descendants of Abraham. Just because they're a descendant of Abraham and generally speaking, particularly when you look in the life of Jesus Christ, it seemed as if Israel had completely rejected their Messiah as presented in the person of Jesus Christ. Not all of them did. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant, Paul says in verse 5. Now again, Paul was like, it's not because they're Israelites. <laughs> it's because of what? It's, they were chosen by grace. 
It wasn't because there were a bunch of smart Israelites around saying, you know what, we've got this thing figured out. We heard Jesus teach, and we can get those parables, and we can understand them all. And you know what, we're still going to the synagogue, and we're still making all of our sacrifices. And so, no, if they're the remnant, which is an interesting word, that we have all the way back in the Old Testament, promised, even before the Israelites were taken into captivity, there was a promise that there would be a remnant that Paul here is saying that remnant that exists even today isn't because they're biologically attached to Abraham. It's because they were chosen by grace. Salvation is the same for all. Verse 6, but if, but if it is by grace... It is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And here, go back to chapter 2. And start the LP over again on your record player, if you remember what that is. And when it gets back to chapter 10, chapter 11, put it back to chapter 2. Listen to it again. Until the age of 8-track tapes, and then they just started looping around. You just had to hit the cycle to one, two, three, or four, whichever one you wanted to go to, right? I didn't think I was that old. If it was of works, it wouldn't be of grace. And you might be thinking, after months of going through the book of Romans, you say, well, see, Tim said that. Uh, Richard said that. You've said that. Tim said it again. Richard said it again. You've said it again. Tip said it again. Richard said it again. You've said it again. Why? Because Paul keeps saying it again. Why? Because the Holy Spirit keeps saying it again. It doesn't change. Even in our culture today. No matter how you dress, no matter how long your hair is, no matter how long your dress is, no matter what color glasses you wear, no matter what car you drive, no matter what church you go to, no matter what pew you sit on, no matter how many times you shake hands, no many times you read through the Bible in a year, no many times you've prayed, no matter times you have just simply told people, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. That has no value when you stand before a holy, righteous God. Now, hopefully, all of those things, well, maybe not all things, like the length of hair, uh, but that's just for men, by the way. Um, but hopefully, the things that speak of a godly life will follow. But make no doubt about it. We're chosen by grace. Amen. We don't work ourselves into anything. We work out our salvation when it starts being chosen by grace. Now, having said that again, let's move on. What then, verse 7, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God them over, gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare, a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Now compare that with what Paul has said about, I would give my life for the salvation of my people. Here David is saying, 
Well, let them sorry rascals, let their table be a snare to them. Let, let the very blessings that God has given them with the law and giving them the blessings of God, let that be what brings them down to their ruin and their arrogance and their pride. You say, well, who's right? God is. God's right. Because we, on one side, being sinners ourselves, are a little timid. <laughs> Don't be so harsh on them. Because after all, we're all saved by grace. Come on, you can't be too harsh. And so we might go over to the extreme of Paul and say, you know what, I would give my life because I realize just how desperate they are in their sin and I realize what eternally they are facing is, is, is terrible. And, and there's empathy that goes out saying, I would give my life for the salvation of these people, but at the same time, we don't want to become an idolater and say, you know what, there's something more important than God's holiness. That we could trifle with the goodness of God and say that that does not warrant judgment. They're, they're both like so far away from where we want to be, but that's exactly where we have to be. An understanding of God's grace. But let's be thankful that there's a remnant. Though many judged or were judged in their disbelief and in their arrogance before God. God has a remnant. So I ask, Paul says, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Was their ultimate end when they stumble to be destroyed? Paul says, by no means. And here we get back to the good news of those of us who are not within the biological framework of Abraham's family. By no means, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and it does, <laughs> right? Right? We're all here as trophies of God's grace. Because of their trespass. It's come to the Gentiles, so as to make the Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And you scratch your head again, thinking, well, are they here? Are they, are they not here? Are they God's people? Are they not God's people? Where do they fit? Well, they stumbled. What did they stumble over? Well, you may recall back in the last message I preached, they stumbled over a rock. That rock is Jesus Christ. They stumbled. You may recall some of our reading this morning, or maybe even some of the songs that we were singing, thinking about God's wisdom in comparison to the world's wisdom. But if some of the branches, I'm sorry, for if their rejection means the re re reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Okay, Gentile Christians, listen up. This is a warning. 
You say, oh, a warning. I don't see a warning in there. Well, let me give it to you. Israel was called back in Abram's day, right? Of all the nations, he chose the smallest, the most insignificant group of people that he could think of, and he called them out from the world. So that through this man Abraham, all the nations will be blessed, right? His descendants, through time, got to the point where they felt like, well, just by being a son of Abraham or a daughter of Abraham, I'm special. We call that stumbling. They stumbled. Some of them did fall, but for the most part, he, he didn't cause them just to all be destroyed, but they stumbled over their arrogance. Now, Paul says, well, if that stumbling led to the riches for, for the rest of us in the world, then great. How much more then will it be when that remnant who's chosen by grace becomes God's people? Now, where's the warning at? If they stumble, who else can stumble? You know how many people that sit in church and listen to the Word of God preached every Sunday without a true relationship with Jesus Christ? And they think because I belong to this church or because I do this stuff, I'm good. Those crazy Jewish people, they get what they deserve. They rejected Jesus Christ. Out with them. That's what the Jews did. What the people of God did in the Old Testament when we see that through even through the life of Jesus Christ and even throughout today. People that cling to, to the words of God. They hold to their old, as we would consider, Old Testament history. They look at the book of Moses as, as God's word. There are people today who grew up in church. They believe the Word of God is what it is. And they believe that they're special because they are a part of something. So the warning is, may we remain humble as God's people. May we remain Participants in, of grace. But what riches it is for those of us because of what happened in their rejection. The reconciliation of the world. Verse 16, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. This is re looking back to Numbers chapter 15 in which as Israelites would prepare their, their bread, that as, as they were putting their bread together, all the ingredients and mixing it up, they had already committed the first part of that was going to go to the priesthood as a sacrifice to God. So just as much as that first part was consecrated to God, so as those who were first 
trusted by God. Descendants of Abraham. They're just as much a part of the big overwhelming loaf, if you will, as the first. He goes on to a different picture here as well. In verse 17, uh, I'm sorry, verse, in verse 16, so is, so is the whole lump. And if not, the, if the root is holy, so are the branches. So two pictures. And the second one is, this is springtime, we're, we're planting stuff, which I was talking with my mom yesterday. This, this is the first year because of our, our house build where I've really got not much to do except for pull out a bunch of dead trees from the woods and try to clear out some space. I haven't been able to plant anything. I, I don't have a garden that I'm looking forward to plant. And you might think that's not that big of a deal. That you, you know, it's like the kids having two weeks off of school here. Uh, you know, enjoy it. I can't because that's, I just like to do that because I'm fascinated by the fact that I can plant something that's smaller than my, my fingernail in the ground and it comes up to something taller than me producing fruit because the root on the inside of the ground is going to grow. It doesn't become detached. It doesn't become something different. It, it, it grows. Something comes from that root. And Paul is saying in the same way that in verse 16, if the root is holy, so are the branches. If that root that God planted as a seed in Abraham is holy, then everything that is coming from Abraham is holy. Now again, we understand that from Paul's teaching in Romans, that the spiritual fruit is what he's referring to. But that doesn't mean that the physical fruit is all gone, which he's about to explain, which is some really, some incredible stuff here. Verse 17, but if some of the branches, now this is for those who were thinking, okay, well, that root, had some, it, was, it was physical too, right? Yeah, 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 it's physical. And so the branches that are going to be produced from that root that was planted back in physical Abraham come through. There's actually going to be some holiness coming through there too. So, but if some of the branches were broken off, now what would those branches be? Those would be those Israelites, those physical descendants of Abraham who didn't believe. In a different picture, but with the same analogy, Jesus talks about pruning. John chapter 14. Or I'm sorry, chapter 13. In which he prunes. God has taken these branches that were unbelieving off and you, through this process that we would call today inosculation, as many seeds that I've planted, I've never practiced this. Some of you may have never ever heard of this. But inosculation is where you take a branch off a plant that's dead or maybe not growing properly, and you, and you prune the plant just enough where you expose the vein that, that's carrying the nutrients through that plant. And you can take a branch from another plant that's healthy, and you can attach it to the plant where you'd broken the dead one off or the unhealthy one off, and you can put it together. And the nutrients will start to flow through that additional 
stem or branch that you put on the plant. And before you know it, it's a part of that plant. Incredible. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying there were Gentiles, other branches out there from another tree that was dead and rotten. But I took this, I took this branch from another tree that was dead and rotten, and I took this root that started way, 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 way back there that I called by grace. And I took it and I took this branch off that was broken off this true holy root and branch and I put that branch in there. And by the grace of God, all things are possible with God, right? What's that in the context of? <laughs> Saving a rich man, right? Again, we've got to keep the context. When all this stuff is going on, we've got to, we've got to forget what you know, we see on TV and what we read, hear on the radio. We've got to, what does the Bible say about it? All things are possible with God in relation to salvation. And we can do what seems unthinkable. And so, that is true. Verse 20, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen. But they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Now he gets back to that subject, has he forsaken? Did they stumble so that they would fall? No. There's a remnant that God is still going to take even though they were broken off. He's going to take those and he's going to put them back in too. Well, that's not the way science does it in the greenhouse. Well, guess what? We're talking about the Creator God who makes all things new. For if they were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in into their own olive tree? Pretty impressive, the work of our God. The work of salvation. It's so far from the way we would plan it out. It involves things that we would never do. And let's praise the Lord for that. Now, questions have been asked. Did God reject his people? Did they stumble that they might fall? Well, it is through all of this over the course of thousands of years God displays His wisdom. God displays the riches of His grace. And also provides us sinful people fallen but saving by grace opportunities to argue and try to figure out why does Paul keep bringing up these Jewish people? Some We believe that the covenants that we find in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament, whether it be the New Covenant or any other promise made to Israel 
It's fulfilling the church. It's a very prominent position. It's one that, is, that holds a high regard for the Scriptures. It's a position that, that makes logical sense. It's a position that while taking the Scriptures as a historical, literal book, may or may not fulfill itself in historical, literal ways, but have spiritual applications. We call it covenant theology. While most covenant theologians wouldn't refer to themselves as covenant theologians, they just say we're theologians. We're biblical theologians, and that's, that's okay. Many of you in this room, I would dare say, most of you, because of where you probably grew up, or probably attended church, have been affected by a different perspective called dispensationalism. Now, you may have never heard of dispensationalism, but I'm sure most of you have probably heard of the idea of a pre-tribulational rapture. The school I was trained in, very dispensational, believing that the covenants of the Old Testament are covenants to be fulfilled with the people that the covenants were made with, the nation of Israel. And that the covenants of the New Testament are different covenants made with the church. But there's a very specific, distinct line between the nation of Israel and the church. And so when they look at the book of Revelation, we, there would be seen very literal interpretations of what's going to happen in the future, and particularly with what happens with the nation of Israel. What happens with these ethnic people called the descendants of Abraham? So when you come to Romans chapter 11, each of these perspectives will say, well, this is where our answer lies. <laughs> Even though the answer is going to be different. But this is where they will stake their claim to either one. And by the way, in case you're wondering, I'm not going to tell you which one is right. If I've learned anything in almost 52 years of my life, I've realized the older I get, the less I know, and the less I say, the more trouble I stay out of. Amen. However, if you want to know the real answer, get with me after the service. <laughs> but you understand that with a text like this, it would cause one who believes a certain of those two ways to ask the question, well, why does Paul keep bringing up these people? Either they're part of the church as a whole for all time and just forget about calling them names. We're all just one people. Or, hey, okay, so there is a distinction. There's still going to be something that goes on for all of eternity with a distinction. We have Paul's wisdom provided for us by the Holy Spirit in verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Now at that point, it doesn't really help us out because, again, the covenant theologian is going to say a mystery is something in the Old Testament filled in the New Testament. Uh, the, the dispensationalist is going to say a mystery is going to be something that hasn't even been talked about before. And now, voila, here we go. He goes on to say, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. 
This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but as regards, but as regards election, they're beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. If something cannot be revoked, it means it lasts forever. What is this irrevocable calling of God? Deliverance. How do I know that? Look in verse 26. A deliverer is coming. What's he going to deliver him from? Ungodliness. What's the covenant going to be about? Taking away their sins. But they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So however you want to figure this out, and again, many debates on college campus, well, maybe not anymore. They probably talk about something else on Bible college campuses today. But on the college campus that I was on anyway, we would stay up till 2, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning bantering back and forth about these things, trying to figure out whether or not God is going to come back and lead His people into a thousand-year reign of Christ, whether or not they're all just going to be forgiven. We all live together for all of eternity in some world we've not been able to fathom before or something in between. But hear this. One thing that we can know for sure is that Deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be his covenant with them when I take away their sins. Their beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, that's for all of us, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so too have now they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. God's mercy does not end for His people. For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all. All that belong to God will receive mercy. It will either be because you are a descendant of Abraham, you receive the law, and by God's grace through the law and everything, God saved you. Or, once the people as a whole ethnic group rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ, when He walked on the face of this planet, and now there was a very visible proclamation of the Gospel to the Gentiles. Or, if you're this remnant of the biological descendants of Abraham that have been called by God's grace, we have received mercy. To that we say, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways.
For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that might be, he, may, he might be repaid? Or from, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Not to us, not to the theologians, not to the ivory palaces, not to the church group, not to the Jewish people, but to God. Because we're called according to His purpose. So how do you apply this? It's not by starting a Bible club and inviting everybody over to tell them why dispensationalism is foolishness or why covenant theologians have missed the point. It's by understanding, by the grace of God, you've been justified. Having peace with God. And that whether it's a virus that people are going out of their minds trying to avoid or whether it be a presidential election that seems to give everybody fits, or whether it be the school system that seems to be going sour more and more every day, or a world that seems to be becoming unglued every moment. Our deliverer's coming. He's coming. So that we can hear or maybe even sing a song that we heard earlier. Take your pick. They're all good. Or you can take your worship guide the rest of this week and squeeze it out. Every drop of truth from God's Word about who He is. And you read it until you memorize it. And you sing these songs to yourself until you get sick of them. And your family gets tired of you going over and over again with this stuff about God. Because Him be the glory forever. I was thinking about this the other night as I was going home from work. I'll tell on myself. I'm ashamed. I was more concerned about everybody having a good opinion about what I thought was right about the world we live in than I was about the fact that there are hundreds of people that walk in and out of the same door I do to work in. They're so worried about so many things but the thing that they should be the most worried about in life. I see so much enmity against God in my own life that it shames me to stand here before you and preach as if I have some power or something that you need to hear. It embarrasses me know that I'll allow my sarcasm to cover up my hatred of stuff. But I've never touched the nails in my hand. 
and the blood that flowed from the cross covers my sin. And I thought back, thankfully before I got home and my wife couldn't tell I'd been crying. The words from James, to humble yourself. Humble yourself under God and think of Peter's words. God resists the proud. And that I should heed the warning that Paul says, you know what, hey, if God broke off those branches, (laughs) I think he can't break off a few more. Be grateful and be thankful that we've been grafted in. And let that message go to a world that is searching for some sort of hope that no matter what calamity they find themselves under, they need something that will give them peace that surpasses understanding. So let's pray.